Ready to Go Forever. I'm Eric Drews, broadcasting from Oshkosh, Wisconsin, and we'll be joined shortly here by Matt McLean out in Altoona. And the bye week is over, and now it'll be nothing but Packer football every weekend until the season's over for the Packers. We'll talk a little bit about this week in the NFL, but mostly today is going to be the bye week special, What If the NFL edition. Now, What If has been one of our more popular segments uh, over the course of this podcast where we take events from Packers history, we adjust them, and then we debate the ramifications of the changes we made. Well, this time we've reached out to you and we've also selected a couple of our own of NFL What Ifs. Certainly every team has stories like the Packers uh, where if you change a few things, the history of the franchise could have changed dramatically. And if you do that to some very important franchises, you can change the NFL completely. So we're going to do quite a few of those, and you all gave us some great topics on the Facebook page. But Matt, we had a little bit of a debate uh, yesterday, or two days ago now, uh, where I was texting how I was really not digging the bye week in the morning. Uh, It was fun to watch some of the games, but you said you were kind of happy to get a little bit of a break from Packers football. So uh, are you ready for that break to be over? And I guess describe uh, your enjoyment of the bye week. Yeah, I don't want to word it as I need a break from the Packers, but I think sometimes (laughs) it's just kind of nice to have a weekend where you can just enjoy, you know, watching all the other teams and watching basically nine straight hours of non-Packers you know, Packers playing and get to watch more teams a little bit more and not have to stress about who wins and who doesn't win, especially when it's earlier in the year and there's no division on the line quite yet at this point or anything. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love NFL football just as much as I love the Packers, and I, uh, I'm i happy just watching a full Sunday of other teams playing once in a while. Once a year is good for me. Yeah, and I guess I would agree with that. The thing is, though, there was not much stress over who was going to win any of those games because it appears that nowadays in the NFL – Every game's decided by halftime. Uh, I felt like every game I saw on Sunday, I watched all four games that were sent to our area, and all of them were blowouts. I mean, yeah. heck, they had to switch us from the San Diego-Miami game at the start of the fourth quarter. Even yeah, though that was a weird one. Yeah, and I wanted to talk really quickly about that before we got into the what-if, and it feels like a new symptom of the offense-happy NFL that became apparent very much so on Sunday, but has been throughout the whole season, and that is the offenses are so high-powered, and nobody has a very good defense right now. Every team has a poor defense and a good offense, and so you're two turnovers away from getting blown out, no matter how good you are. Yeah, and I think we've seen with almost all these teams, too, I don't know if this is related or not, but we've seen this like crazy four-week push from like all of them where they'll just go on this absolute tear for four weeks i mean the patriots have done it now the chargers were in it we were in it and have since lost it's just like they they surge for four weeks um when they kind of get it all together and then come back down to earth just because you can't maintain that so it's like when your entire team is built around that you're going to be super streaky and we're seeing that on top of kind of what you mentioned as well yeah it's it's almost like for the patriots right now it's congratulations you're the hottest team you still have eight more to play yeah wait till next week (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know who they're playing, but odds are, you know, they're probably going to come back down to earth in the next couple of weeks. Well, and I'm sure two weeks from now we'll be saying, "Oh my gosh, can you believe the Miami Dolphins? Can they win the AFC?" <laughs> you know, it's yeah. it it just keeps kind of cycling. But yeah, I think that's kind of a trend that I've noticed. I think that what you were talking about is a reflection of their not being a dominant team, and and everybody's got kind of a stretch of winnable games, especially if you get at home. But it really is frustrating to see a team like the Broncos who has been, you know, very good this year, probably the best team in the NFL, and then this week they go to Foxborough, and you watch that first half, and just the eye test, if this was, you know, 1995, and and you take the scoreboard off, you'd think, wow, these are two pretty evenly matched teams, and then at halftime it's 27-7 to because of one bad punt return and a couple of weird turnovers. So I I don't know, It, it feels like, you know, the Packers aren't 21 points worse than the Saints, and the same can be said for these other teams, and so... It's kind of the nature of the beast now, but at, at some point, if the offenses are so powerful and you want the defense to go for turnovers, you think we're going to see more of these blowouts? Well, it kind of seems like this last week was more of an outlier. I mean, there's been so many good games this year, so I, I don't know. I guess I wouldn't say necessarily. I think let's keep it going because, I mean, watching the Red Zone channel, a lot, of, a lot of weeks there'll be eight games that go down to the absolute wire, so... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I might not agree with you on that. Yeah, but who cares if it's Cleveland and Tennessee? I don't I don't care about that. If I tune into Sunday Night Football, I don't want to blow out. All the good games seem to be yeah, between, you know, crap teams on Sunday afternoon. Mm-hmm. 
But nonetheless, we'll uh, kind of go forward with that. I was trying to prepare a stat uh, on Sunday to see, you know, the number of teams that have scored 30 points and lost uh, in this year. Uh, or I did it in like five year stretches, and the last five years has been super high, and it was kind of steady for the previous 15, and then there was a spike. So I think that's just, I was trying to make an argument that now it's kind of out of control and that there's more blowouts, but all it appeared to see is that you can see very obvious spikes in scoring from 1978, and then again in the mid-90s, and then again recently, so... Um, that everybody can see without spending 20 minutes putting together numbers like I did. All right, um, do you have any other things that you saw yesterday, or, or I guess yesterday was Monday, but the previous day, anything interesting that you wanted to bring up before we go to what if? I guess just kind of glossing over a, qu- a few quick things since we don't have a ton of time, but, you know, New England beating Denver at home, obviously, is kind of the big thing we've been mm-hmm. talking about with Peyton for the last 15 years, and it makes you kind of feel smart to pick New England in that one, too, just because it's been, you know, mm-hmm. you're nice. like, he can't possibly go into New England and lose again, and that's exactly what happened. And as soon as you saw that it was snowing in the morning, you texted me wanting to change <laughs> your pick, but I didn't allow it. Well, <laughs> back. It's just classic Peyton. Um, and then also, I mean, Arizona, I know they played Brandon Whedon, but... Yeah, I can't believe they keep winning, but I, it's it's time to you know admit that they're for real. I think, and um, I don't know if know, I'm ready to do that, honestly. I mean, how can you not though? I guess that's my thing is if I'm picking games every week, I'm having a hard time picking them, but they just yeah. keep winning and winning and winning. Well, they're like, for real in a sense that they'll be in the mix in the NFC, but they're not for real in a sense where you should expect them to get home field advantage or that you'd be. I, I would say even with the seven and one start, if they represented the NFC in the Super Bowl, I would be very surprised. I'm getting to the point. I, I maybe would have agreed with you last week, but I'm getting to the point where I might disagree with you now, just because they keep doing it. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I don't think they're the same as the Chiefs were last week or last year. Mm-hmm. I think this team just does the things that they have to do to win. And I think they, although Carson Palmer's at a quarterback and we haven't taken that seriously, mm-hmm. he's playing pretty well and their receivers have played really well. And Ellington, their running back is good. So not only is their defense really good and one of the best in the NFL right now, but their offense can do it too. So I, I think it's a bunch of no name guys and an old elite receiver who's still playing pretty well, but I think that they are for real and I think they can make a run. Yeah. Carson Palmer we always say that on this show. Well, well, Carson Palmer's their quarterback, and I was watching that Dallas Arizona game because I'm in the Green Bay TV market, so I get that. And you got to watch the Vikings for like the tenth time this yeah. year, right? Yep. Um, but they said Carson Palmer threw an interception that was returned for a touchdown. It was the only uh, Dallas touchdown before garbage time, and it was his second interception of the year. Yeah. And so that blew me away. I had to look it up. I'm like, you mean Carson Palmer? I mean, are you talking about a different Palmer that's, you know, thrown five passes all year? And so I I think you're right. They are playing very well. But that Eagle game was impressive. But, again, it was at home. And then their other wins, they beat the Chargers by one point 100 years ago. They beat the Giants. Yes, San Francisco is okay. But the Redskins, Raiders, Brandon Whedon's Cowboys – you can't ever punish a team for winning, but at the same point, it's that's not Seattle or the Packers or the Saints or even Detroit. I mean, think of if, if you take Arizona's defense against Detroit's defense and that kind of cancels each other out, are you going with Carson Palmer and Ellington or are you going with Megatron, Reggie Bush, and Matt Stafford? And so I think that... Yes, they, they're, they're for real in a sense that I expect them to be in the playoffs, and they certainly could do it, but they're not for real in a sense that I expect them to be beating out any of those four NFC teams uh, that have made the Super Bowl in recent years uh, to go at this point. All right, but to answer your question, I do go with Carson Palmer and the Cardinals offense over Matt Stafford and his offense right now. Hmm. Well, I don't I, tr- Yeah. I don't trust Stafford for for anything, so I guess I'd take pretty much any offense over them in a big game. Okay, well, I mean that's that's a fair point too, but I I don't know. I just ugh, I, I don't want to be talking about Cardinals, Lions. Well, in I guess January. we'll see. You know, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised like you're saying if they make it to the playoffs and get knocked out in the first round too. I think it's a really interesting team and kind of a a different team that we're used to seeing and one that maybe it doesn't feel like they're that good, but they just keep winning. So I guess we'll see what happens when the playoff comes. Yeah, and one thing you can say about them is that unlike the Packers and unlike the Broncos, that if Carson Palmer has a bad day, they can still win. Yep. I mean, if, if Aaron has a bad day in the playoffs, the season's You're over. Done. Yeah. Yep. Okay, so 
There's uh, some talk about the NFL this week. Um, I wanted to ask you because you were able to watch that Vikings Redskins game, and I know there was some weird stuff about RG3 and whether his teammates like him. But how, yeah. how did he look uh, if you watched some of that game? I mean, he looked kind of like maybe more a little better than last year RG3, but uh, you know, not quite rookie RG3. He was solid. Made some. He missed some really bad throws in crunch time, especially. And I think the last throw he missed was a pretty yeah. guy, and he missed it. I, he, I mean, he looked okay. He probably was a better option than Kurt Cousins has been, but they still lost to the Vikings. He didn't do enough to win it, but I think he played okay. I, I mean, in your first game back after missing the whole year, it wasn't bad. Okay. Well, I, I guess, I don't know. I kind of always am hoping that someday he'll return to 2012 RG3 because he was just such a dynamic, fun player to watch. And, you know, even I was texting you before the game when it, you know, Teddy Bridgewater taking on RG3, and in my head I'm just thinking, wow, look at, you know, two mobile quarterbacks who are going to be running around and throwing a bunch of passes, and then, you know, RG3 just really has never been that since that knee injury, and, you know, I don't know. I don't really have a point to end that, what I was saying, but uh, it would be interesting to see if he ever gets back to that form. Vince Young, I called him the other day, which seems yeah. very appropriate. <laughs> yeah, at this point he is. I mean, Vince had an awesome rookie year and had some incredible touchdowns and some incredible plays, but ended up not doing anything after that and just being a turnover machine. So yeah. I, I can't imagine with how good RG3 was his rookie year that he's just deteriorated to this forever. Mm-hmm. But it's at this point, after seeing this for so long, it's hard to imagine him bouncing back to being elite again, too. Yeah, and it's so weird that he doesn't seem to be able to pass uh, yeah. because Vince Young wasn't that big of a mystery when he fell off because his actual passing statistics were pretty bad. But yeah, he, he was, was inaccurate. Making, yeah, he was inaccurate. He he has a weird low delivery. He was making plays with his legs where RG3 had, what, like 20 touchdowns, five picks or something? I mean, he was a good passer, and to see that go away is just very strange. Okay, uh, we'll talk about the Packers prediction. I think we'll do our picks on the Facebook page uh, this week. Matt and I are one game separated right now. I think I have 79 wins for the season. Or no, I have more than that. I didn't calculate the late games, but we had all the same other than Denver and New England. So you're able to maintain a one-game lead on me. Uh, Both of us are about 30 games over 500. And I did a quick check of the CBS Sports experts. And you and I would be, of the 10 of them, we'd be about... Four and five in there, so all right. we're we're doing all right. Yeah, we've had some. I mean, I've had really good weeks, except I had one just absolutely miserable week in week four. <laughs> yeah, you had a three and ten week in there. Yeah, but sprinkled some elevens and thirteens in there too. So I think we're doing a pretty good job. Yeah, I, I actually have had four straight ten win weeks right now, so I'm I'm doing nice. all right for myself. But we'll we'll do those picks on the Facebook page, so check in sometime before Thursday Night Football, and we'll have them on there, because I'm sure people are betting thousands of dollars worth of their own hard-earned money uh, in Las Vegas trying to, after after we make our picks, right? God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you are, um, I think you need to reevaluate your choices, and we're certainly not responsible for that. Okay, let's get to Super What If. What if the past had turned out differently? The Green Bay Packers have won the Super Bowl. I was told that playing in Green Bay was not an option. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers, quarterback, California. And Mikowski appears hurt. Uh, Mikowski's in great pain, Ahmad. And reliable sources now tell CBS Sports that Parcells is very close to accepting a Green Bay Packers offer. Gentlemen, let me introduce to you the new head coach of the Green Bay Packers, Mr. Phil Bankston. What would the past look like? What would the future look like if? And that signifies the beginning of what if. And now there's Packer references in that intro, but this one is all about the NFL and some of the major things that could have uh, shook up the NFL that at as we know it. So let's talk about some of those. And we reached out to you guys on Facebook and asked you to come up with your own scenarios, and you guys did not disappoint. There's a ton of really good ones here that we can talk about from a bunch of different teams. So, Matt, let's start with uh, Corey Bend, and he sent us a couple, but uh, we'll begin with his first one that basically boils down to, what if Super Bowl twenty-eight in 1993 had ended up being Montana versus Young? And uh, Bend adds... Uh, 
My first one was actually inspired by your last show when you mentioned Joe Montana and the 49ers. Montana's Chiefs and Steve Young's 49ers both made it to the conference championships after the 1993 season, but they both ended up losing on the road to the Bills and Cowboys. What if the Chiefs and 49ers had both won instead, setting up a Super Bowl 28 showdown between Montana and Young? Who would have won? How would a win or loss by either team have changed our perceptions of the quarterbacks? Would a loss by Montana have knocked him off? His undisputed greatest quarterback ever thrown would a win by Montana over the Niners in the Super Bowl have caused 49er fans to remember him less fondly than they do. And how might a Super Bowl trip or victory have affected Marty Schottenheimer's image as a loser in the playoffs? So a lot to uh, consider there. Matt, do you want me to start or do you want to go? Yeah, I can give a a crack at this one here. Sure. Um, So I guess to answer, I'll kind of go through all of his, his points here. He's got a lot of good questions and a lot of good points. I think had that been the Super Bowl is his first thing here. What happens if they both end up winning um, and replacing Bills Cowboys in the Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. I think that that game probably could have ended up being kind of a blowout. Mm-hmm. And you never know. It's Joe Montana. But, I mean, what we saw in the early 90s was the NFC was just so much more dominant than the AFC. Yeah. And the Bills clearly being the AFC's best team, and they just got pretty much manhandled in four straight Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. So I think an, an, an inferior Chiefs team, which – had some talent. They had some good players at that time, and their mm-hmm. defense was pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Marcus Allen, I believe, at that time at 93. Yep, I think um, that was his first year. So, I mean, they were a pretty solid team, but, I mean, we never saw much out of that Chiefs team throughout the 90s other than, you know, good records in the regular season and playoff appearances. So mm-hmm. I think San Francisco was the far superior team. I think it could have gotten out of hand. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think San Francisco ends up winning that game pretty handily. Real quick, uh, do we want to just ping-pong the, the points as they sure, go? Sure, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. What do you think would have happened in that Super Bowl? I agree, and me being the old-school football nerd that I am, I've actually seen the 93 playoffs relatively recently, and it's one thing people forget about that. Well, maybe people there don't forget it, but around the area, they just see Montana in the AFC Championship game. The reason they got blown out by Buffalo is he left the game at halftime, or right after halftime, because he got hurt. He was knocked out of all three of the Chiefs' playoff games that year. And... uh they go to overtime in the wild card game, but the guy who throws one of the touchdown passes for the Chiefs is Dave Craig because <laughs> Montana's on the bench. Mm-hmm. And playing against that San Francisco team, who had a pretty solid defense that year, uh, they only finished 10 and six, but they had a really good offense, the number one offense in the league. I just think you're you're spot on that this definitely could have been a blowout, and I don't think the Chiefs could have to could have held up with this team. I think they might have stayed in it. I don't know, Buffalo was head and shoulders above everybody else in the AFC that year, yeah. so I think at the end of the day it might have been, you know, 30-13 to 13 sounds pretty pretty accurate for that game, so I'll definitely agree that I think San Francisco beats Kansas City. Alrighty, and his next point he has here is how would a win or loss by either team have changed our perceptions of the quarterbacks? Would a loss by Montana have knocked him off his undisputed greatest quarterback ever thrown, and would a win by Montana over the 49ers have caused 49ers fans to remember him less fondly? Um, I guess also you could throw Steve Young in there as well. How does his image change? Yeah. I guess um, I, in terms of Montana, I don't think it throws him off as, at least at that point, the undisputed greatest quarterback ever. But it does remove the one thing that he has over everybody else he's considered with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Terry Bradshaw never lost. or I, Yeah, he did. I'm sorry, he did lose some. Um, but, I mean, compared to, like, say, Tom Brady, Brady lost one. It, mm-hmm. So going forward, comparing him to anybody – if they lose one, they're not Joe Montana. Mm-hmm. So I think he may still, up until the Brady-Manning careers are done, be considered the greatest quarterback of all time. And I don't think that changes much. But it does give him that little thing that nobody else has and the fact that he won mm-hmm. four Super Bowls and never lost one. So mm-hmm. I think that that uh, maybe affects him a little bit, but not much. Um, I, I think actually... The four- oh, yeah, I'm go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, I actually think that it would affect him more than you described Because if they get stomped by San Francisco with Steve Young as the quarterback, then not only does it diminish Joe Montana, because like you said, the biggest thing of his legacy, of course he had great statistics and he was such a a great quarterback. Anybody who's ever seen a Montana game knows how great he was. But the thing that sets him apart is that zero in the loss column in Super Bowls. And he played, you know, winning the, the four Super Bowls. But if he loses to San Francisco... 
then all of a sudden it doesn't become, wow, Joe Montana's great. It becomes this San Francisco organization can put anybody in there and win the Super Bowl. If they whoop Montana, and, and I don't think it would have gone that far, but if, if Montana goes out there, has a bad game, and Steve Young just runs circles around him, reminiscent of one of the San Francisco blowout Super Bowl wins of the 1980s, I think that reflects tremendously on the legacy of Montana and it diminishes his, but it amplifies the 49ers' legacy as this is a class organization that can that their formula works no matter who's in it. And I think sure. it it hurts him by association that it makes the illusion that that 49er organization was more responsible for his success than he was individually. And I can see that, but don't you think a little bit as well that he was at the very end of his career that people kind of take that into consideration and realize that he maybe carried a Chiefs team on his back that wasn't that good mm-hmm. and at least got him to a Super Bowl when he was already you know at the end of the line as well. I think somewhat, but also then maybe it makes people reevaluate and say, well, you know, when he when he tore it up in 1988 and 89. You know, he had some really good defenses, and he was, you know, starting to become frail then, too. And so he he made the most of his opportunities, but those were provided by, you know, Jerry Rice and by having a great defense. And I don't think it'll ever completely take it away, and he still would be considered one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. But people would maybe start talking about him like they talk about, I don't know, who, who's a guy like maybe the, one of the Cowboy quarterbacks. You know, this sure. is just a great team. Uh, well, I guess, too, just to finish off with Steve Young as well, I think that that could really have changed his perception going forward here because we talk about him as, you know, one of the most efficient and potentially one of the best quarterbacks of all time, but he had one Super Bowl appearance and one win. Mm-hmm. Granted, it was an awesome Super Bowl win, and he played one of the better games we've ever seen, but mm-hmm. he only got there once, and, you know, at that point after that, he started getting kind of hurt every year after that, and pretty much fizzled out after that Super Bowl win, so that was pretty much you know the highlight of his career. Had he won another one, I think he'd be a lot higher on a lot of people's lists. Yeah, they might have won back-to-back. I mean, yep. this is 93. The 94 49ers were still really good. Granted, that opens another what-if as to would they have been as aggressive in free agency signing guys like Deion Sanders yeah. and... Ricky or and, uh, Richard Dent and guys like that if they hadn't got beat by Dallas again. But if they went back-to-back, then what I was just talking about, I think, even becomes more amplified, that this is just a phenomenal organization. Sure. And Marty Schottenheimer, we got to talk about him. Uh, I don't know if fans of today really remember him that well. It's been eight years since he coached, but this was a guy who, you know, he turned around San Diego. He had Kansas City, what, in the playoffs seven of eight years or six of seven years. He had the Browns in three of four AFC title games. And even in a Super Bowl, I don't know, like, I was just about to say that a Super Bowl loss really helps him, but does anybody walk around thinking Dan Reeves is a great coach? And he got to four Super Bowls. And so I think that if Schottenheimer is going to change his perception of not being a loser or a choker in the big games, he's got to win this game. If he loses, it's just a further choke. Yeah, I agree. If it's a loss, it doesn't change anything, but a win changes everything <laughs> because he has the one Super Bowl win. I mean, he's he's Dick Vermeil without the Super Bowl win, really. Yeah. I mean, just a, a real winning coach, but he didn't do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, a win changes everything, and a loss ch- is keeps him exactly where he is right now. Yeah, a win probably gets him in the Hall of Fame, right? Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, and I agree. Loss does really nothing for him. All right, so uh, thanks for that one, Corey. And now we're going to transition to another one of our great fans, Chris Stanzale, who has a sort of Packer one, but we'll try to take this with an NFL spin uh, while also addressing the Packers topic. And this is, what if the Packers had drafted Ray Lewis? And Chris says, hi, guys, I have a what-if topic. I happen to stumble upon a YouTube CBS Sports video talking about Ray Lewis and how he could have been a Packer. In the video, they interviewed Ron Wolf and some of the other higher-up Packer officials at the time of the 1996 draft, and they talked about some of the conversations that went on in the war room that day. Wolf talked about how it was one of the biggest regrets to not make the move to get Ray Lewis and decided to roll the dice and hope that he fell to them. As we all know, the Ravens took Lewis one pick ahead of the Packers. So what if Ron Wolf and the Packers got Ray Lewis? Do you think he becomes the player he's regarded as today? Do you think he puts those mid-90s defenses over the top? And do the Packers win more than just a couple of playoff games under Sherman? Does he enable the Packers to stop John Elway? So I'll start with this one, and yeah, I looked it up, and of course that was the draft where we got John Michaels, and uh, the Ravens picked Ray Lewis one pick ahead um, in uh, number 26 is when he got picked, and I didn't 
remember how good of a draft this was until I, I looked up this list. Uh, Keyshawn Johnson, you know, one of those Drew Bledsoe-esque, not a bust, but not a great number one overall pick. But guys like Terry Glenn and Eddie George, Marvin Harrison, Eric Moulds, Ray Lewis, of course. You had Tony Brackens, Lawyer Malloy, Mike Allstott. And then if you go way down on the list, you have guys like uh, Teddy Bruschi and uh, Terrell Owens and, and guys of that um, ilk. So oh, if the Packers get Ray Lewis, this is a tough one. I think um, obviously he'd be more useful to the, to the team than John Michaels. And I think they have a better chance to beat Denver, but it just comes down to how important do you think the middle linebacker is. And I don't know. I think Terrell Davis maybe doesn't get 160 yards or whatever he got in the Super Bowl, but he still probably gets 100. I mean, but I don't know. That could have been enough to change it. So I think if Ray Lewis is on the Packers, I think they have a better chance to beat Denver. Let's say they just do beat Denver, and then you can go back and hear what we thought about that in a previous what if. I think the thing with that is we've never really seen – Great, great middle linebackers play for bad defenses. Um, we've play, seen them play for mediocre defenses, as Luke Keekley's finding out this year. But I think that the Packer defenses would have been better throughout the years. I don't know how much that changes things. Maybe that helps in 2003 and, and things of that nature. But again, once you have an anchor in there, the subsequent drafts get all messed up. If you have Ray Lewis in 1996, well, then you're looking at different weaknesses throughout the rest of the Ron Wolf era and then Mike Sherman. So I think that we'll just say for sake of argument that the defenses are better. Um, I think that if that happens, then either the Tennessee Titans or the Oakland Raiders are probably real happy about their year 2000 Super Bowl win that they got because I don't think necessarily that the Ravens are are as good without him. So I don't know, Matt, maybe you could add more insight than me, but I think maybe they can beat Denver, but beyond that, uh, the difference that Ray Lewis makes over the course of his career is really an unknown. Yeah, it's really hard to to kind of think about that. I I think, you know, this it was such a small differential in that Super Bowl game that you would think he may have had the difference to win it, but I he wasn't really, you know, the 2000 on Ray Lewis, we think about that early in his career, he was a good player, but... I think what you kind of hit on, which makes the biggest difference for me, I think, is those early 2000 Packers, where they were right there in 02 and 03. Yeah. And maybe he's enough, and if anybody for a defensive presence is enough to put you over the edge, it, it was him. Yeah. So I think they get a Super Bowl in the early 2000s that they didn't end up getting. Okay. Be- because I think he elevates that defense to a point, and they were good, and they were really good in 02 and 03. Yeah. And if you have a guy like him in the middle, which for the last decade and a half has been a week a weakness of this defense. If you throw a guy like that in there, let's just say nothing else changes and you just add Ray Lewis, I think that could have been enough in one of those years to maybe get through and win another one. So I think the difference could be huge, and I think that having a presence like that can turn some of these average to good defenses into a great defense, like what can happen in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. It's not like Tony Saragusa was a Hall of Famer in Baltimore and <laughs> And all these guys that you end up hearing about, you know, like Starks, the cornerback in the Super Bowl that played so well, and all these other guys, Jamie Sharper, they ended up to be average players. Mm-hmm. And uh, it kind of reminds me a lot about a Packer team without Ray Lewis. So I'm going to say that if you add Ray Lewis, the Packers have five Super Bowl championships at this point. Yeah, and I, I think you make a really good argument when you broke down the Ravens' defense. One thing I'll add is... It's a little bit of speculation, but one of the things people have said for years is that the reason Brett Favre would play horribly in some games against good teams and in the playoffs is that he didn't trust his teammates to not make the plays necessary in order to win. If you think of Brett Favre, his highest rated passer, uh, his highest passer rating in a playoff game is against Seattle in the snow. He threw 23 touchdown passes. He only had 173 yards. I mean, he hardly did anything. He's like, this is a good team. We're better than this team. I'm going to pick my spots. And if you remember that game, he did not force anything. He was a surgeon out there. Every pass he threw had a wide-open receiver, and he was very careful with the football. Now imagine the 2001 Packers, who as is, when they played the Rams, they got whooped. But the Packers' defense held the Rams to 24 points. They scored 45 because Brett threw three pick sixes so if you get a Brett Favre that trusts his teammates 
maybe they win that game. I mean, you can make an argument for sure that they're the best team in 2003 in the NFC. I, I would say that even now, that you can make a very strong argument that the 2003 Packers were the best team in the NFC that year. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so the same thing. So if Brett Favre plays more contained, less reckless in the playoffs because he trusts his defense and he has a equal on the defensive side of the football, then for sure mm-hmm. those teams are much better. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's go back to the Facebook ones. We're going to go through all the Facebook ones, and then Matt and I are each going to have one. And uh, Matt's... He won't even tell me what his is, so I'm kind of, I'm just, I can't wait to hear what Matt. Well, I hadn't had any chance to look at all these, so I figured I could at least hold one over you that I had like a couple of seconds to think about that you didn't. Sure, that's that's fine. Okay, and let's go to John Bellish, who's uh, another one of our longtime fans. This we'll do one of these uh, first because this one might be a little bit shorter. Um, and he says, "Here's one I just thought of. What if it only occurred to Jerry Jones to trade To straight up for?" Or to the Raiders for Randy Moss in 2007. So Matt, do you want to tackle that one first? If uh, the Cowboys had traded To straight up for Randy Moss in 07. Oh yikes! And the 07 was the is he saying before the Patriots went to the went undefeated, or is this? I would assume that's what he means. Okay. Well, I think it removes the Patriots from being undefeated. I think they're still a, <laughs> yeah. a heck of a team, but. You know, I don't know how if it makes a, a big enough difference for the Cowboys to have him. I mean, he was as good as they got at the time, but the Cowboys being the Cowboys, I don't know if that's necessarily what gets them over the edge. Mm-hmm. I guess it's possible they could have maybe taken the division from the Giants, and maybe that would have changed things a lot. But, mm-hmm. um, I mean, they already lost in the Super Bowl. Maybe the Cowboys are the team that gets into that Super Bowl instead of the Giants and takes out the Patriots. You never know. I guess I'm not going to speculate that that's what's going to happen, mm-hmm. but I, I think it... The Patriots still have a really good team. They still lose the Super Bowl, but I don't think it puts the Cowboys over the top. Yeah, and I think this is a little bit of revisionist history. Randy Moss had a phenomenal 2007, but he was a non-factor when he was with the Raiders, and he was starting to fall off with the Vikings. Yeah, I think... Even worse than Brett Favre, the degradation of his reputation is the reputation of Terrell Owens. This guy was the best receiver in the NFL for probably at least him and Moss were right there. And I, I hope that Terrell Owens is able to get into the Hall of Fame. I know he was kind of a dweeb and he had a lot of, you know, issues with the media and people didn't like him and I didn't like him. He drove me nuts when he played, but he was a phenomenal player. That 07 year with Dallas, he had 81 catches, 1,355 yards, and 15 touchdowns. Now, it wasn't as good as Randy Moss's season, but it's certainly nothing to sneeze at either. So I don't think Moss being there really changes that production level. And sure. putting them in the Dallas offense, honestly, I think it's a horse apiece. And so I think that you can't just take those 23 Moss touchdowns and put them on the Dallas Cowboys. I think that was a unique circumstance that even the Patriots were never able to recreate in his years there. So I will say that um, I don't think anything changes if you have Randy Moss on Dallas instead of Terrell Owens. Now that you mention it, it would have been really interesting to see T.O. on, and not that that same trade would have happened, but it would have been really interesting to see T.O. on that Patriots team. To yeah. see kind of how he fit into that offense differently than Randy Moss, because they definitely have different games, too. So, I mean, the Randy Moss offense was super easy. You just throw it down the field, but T.O. was, you know, a much more well-rounded receiver as well. So it kind of would have been interesting to see that. Who the heck was the quarterback of the Raiders in 2007? Kerry Collins or something, probably. I don't, I don't know. Did they have Culpepper for a while? They did, I think. Well, then maybe they change every year, so it's hard to remember. Well, I remember the Packers played in that year, and they had Josh McCown at quarterback but I'm sure he wasn't their actual planned <laughs> starting quarterback. Yeah, I don't know. So, yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure the Raiders would have squeaked out one extra win against you know some really bad. Team. I love I love how you make that Josh McCown joke about an 07 team when that was somebody's plan this year as their starting quarterback still in 2014. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> I don't I don't really have a good response to that, but yeah, that's just as baffling in 2007 as it uh, is today, or maybe even more so today. At least. He's coming off of a really good season. Yeah. In 07, what was he coming off of? A, you know, he, he cheered real hard for Matt Leinart on the Cardinals bench? I don't know. It's funny how we're still talking about that guy. Yeah, he'll be around forever. He's this generation's Chris Chandler, probably. Okay, let's go back to Corey Bend, who has a couple of... Uh, they're kind of two and one right here, so we'll talk about this. 
What if the Minnesota Vikings had won either or both of their two previous NFC Championship games against the Falcons in 1998 and the Giants in 2000? Would they have stood a chance against the Ravens in Super Bowl 35 or against Elway's Broncos in Super Bowl 33? Would making the Super Bowl either time or both times have resulted in Dennis Green being allowed to stick around longer, maybe lasting through their necessary rebuilding project in the early 2000s? And would that have led to Mike Tice getting a coaching gig elsewhere? Finally, do you think John Elway would have come back for another year had they lost to the Vikings in Super Bowl 33? Um, I guess I'll begin with this one, Matt, and we'll we'll talk about 98 first, and then we'll talk about 2000, and then um, after we analyze those individual seasons, then we can talk about the future of Dennis Green and whatnot. So, as far as Super Bowl 33, I was so glad uh, that they lost to the Falcons, and we watched that together. Yeah, and, one of my favorite games I've ever watched. Yeah, it's such a good game, and we were ecstatic that the the Falcons were able to win. And then we cheered really hard for the Jets, who had a lead early and then gave it back to the Broncos. In hindsight, though, that Vikings-Broncos Super Bowl would have been unbelievable. And Falcons-Jets would have been gross. <laughs> yeah, it would have been one of the worst games in history. I think that that one is really tough because the Broncos had a good defense, but I don't think they have anybody who could have matched up with Randy Moss. So... It's tough to say, and I know we have John Bellish who listens to our show. He's a huge Denver Bronco fan, but I'm thinking that Denver versus Minnesota favors Minnesota. And, uh, you know, the Vikings steamrolled through everybody. They, they played Jacksonville that year in a game, for some reason, I vividly remember. And it was a game where Jacksonville was a pretty good team in the AFC that year, and Minnesota beat them like 50-10 to 10 or something. I mean, they just killed everybody. They whooped the Packers twice, and this was a team that was one year removed from back-to-back NFC titles. So I think that Minnesota would have beaten Denver in Super Bowl 33. What do you think about that one? I actually agree with you, and I think this is one of the better Super Bowls ever has if it happens. I think it would have been super even. Mm-hmm. But like you said, what I remember from the Vikings that year, and I haven't gone back and watched them like you probably have, but yeah. I just remember them being completely dominant and knowing going into the games against them that we were going to lose. Mm-hmm. And assuming they were going to go undefeated that year, I think they lost to Tampa. Yep. But I remember them just seeming invincible, and there was no way you're stopping that offense. Their defense was really good. And really, it was a fluky kick in the NFC Championship game. They probably could have handled the Falcons a little bit better than they did. I think they were a much better team. But I think they would have beaten the Broncos. And it's mm-hmm. it's weird to say that the Vikings could have won a Super Bowl, but you know, one Gary Anderson kick away, and I think they do. So I will agree with you, actually. Kind of surprisingly, I think the Vikings win that one. Yeah, and I, I'm still happy that it didn't happen. But have you watched the America's Game Missing Rings episode of the 98 Vikings? Um, I think I have, but it's been a while. It is amazing. It's one of the best things they've ever done. And when you hear Dennis Green and uh, John Randall and Chris Carter talk about that game that they lost to the Falcons, it even makes a Viking hater, Packer fan like me, almost wish they would have won that game (laughs) because you just feel so bad for those guys. But let's move on to the year 2000, which is one of the weirdest, and in hindsight, one of the grossest years in NFL history. You had the Giants with Kerry Collins in the Super Bowl, the AFC playoffs. The Ravens were dominant, but it made for an awful, awful bunch of games. In that year, it's harder to make them beat the Giants because they lost 41-0. to zero. But right. I have I have a sense that if you played that game two days later, that the Vikings could have beat the Giants 41-0, to zero, just with how stupid that, that year was. So I think this one is a little bit different. Um, and as we're talking here, I just want to confirm real quick and take a look at that Vikings team and so their defense was pretty bad that year 28th in yards 24th in points they had a high-powered offense but certainly nothing approaching that 1998 team so I think if they played uh, Baltimore they they still lose I I don't have much um, confidence in them at all to be able to beat Baltimore with a young Culpepper uh, completely under pressure you you have a decent running game and and you still have Randy Moss but I, I think Baltimore shuts them down almost as bad as they shut down the Giants yeah, I agree with you again. I I can't unforget that loss to the Giants, and and on top of that, I think that that Ravens defense wasn't going to lose to anybody. Yeah. So I I don't think there's any way that they beat Baltimore, and they don't have that quite invincible feel that they did in the '98 season. So I I just think 
they would have been outmanned on offense. Mm-hmm. And th- their defense not being good enough, the Ravens probably would have put up some points. I think they had a better shot than the Giants probably did, but yeah. I still think they lose. Yeah, Baltimore gave up 23 points in four playoff games. So I, I think they're going to beat anybody outside of the Rams, who had one of the best offenses of all time but had the worst defense in history that year. So that would have been interesting, but uh, that's a what-if for another day. Yeah, and that Ravens defense, and, and there's been good defenses since, but that was the really the only defense I can remember in my history watching where I was so excited to watch the defense every single game just to see what they would do and to see what kind of turnovers and touchdowns they would score and stuff. And mm-hmm. It was a, a really fun defense to watch, and I think they were just way above everybody else that year. Yeah, and I, I agree with you in that sense, and I have not – I have – their whole playoff run, I haven't gone back to watch it because I think rewatching those games is probably brutal, <laughs> knowing what happens. Yeah. But going into them, yeah, you you were just waiting for them to shut down these teams. And gosh, I mean, they, they beat the Raiders what like sixteen to three, and um, well, yeah, but uh, Tony Saragusa fatted all over Rich Gannon in that <laughs> game. So yeah, so they had that going for them. But yeah, definitely the Ravens, very very interesting defense to watch during that time. Okay, let's go back to... Oh, we didn't talk about the long-term ramifications. Um, Dennis Green is an interesting case here. So even considering the exact history that we got, it's strange to me that he was fired after 2001. And I guess I don't remember that well uh, back then. And, uh, you know, the, the Vikings, I don't care about enough to have researched them like I have some of the other teams. But I get a sense that the reason he was fired after 2001 had less to do with how bad the team was and, and a lot to do with, um, if people remember that offseason, Corey Stringer died during training camp. Yeah. And, and so I think a lot of people were just tired of what was going on there and maybe wanted to change. He was always losing the big one in the playoffs. And so I think if they go to the Super Bowl and lose and you still have everything the same and you know, the thing happens with Stringer. I think it, there's still a chance he gets ousted after a 5-11 a and 11 season in, in 2001. But if they win the Super Bowl, I, you know, I, I don't know. They always seem to have a lot of weird things going on over there. They could never find a quarterback. And if they had the exact same history, let's say 1998, they win the Super Bowl, and then they have to go with Jeff George in 99 and lose in the divisional round, and then they get crushed with Culpepper in the next round, I, I think you still end up with the same thing as maybe this guy just has to go. I don't know. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I mean, obviously, if they win a Super Bowl in 01, he's sticking around. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're probably right with everything you said. I, I guess I don't really have anything to add. I, I don't really think of Dennis Green as a great all-time coach necessarily, so I mm-hmm. I think he's probably still gone. Yeah, yeah, so it certainly would change his legacy and whatnot. And, I mean, he probably wouldn't have had to have wait so, waited so long to get hired again after he got fired. Because um, when did he go to um, – Arizona was that 06 or was that before then when he got hired? Um, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember if that was his first year or not. To be honest with you. Yeah, the w- they are who we thought they were was the only thing I remember. Yeah, that's all I remember. Um, now I just want to look that up real quick to see when that took place because it felt like it was quite a few years. Oh, 2004 is when he started there. So, oh yeah, because Dave McGinnis's last game was the Nate Pool touchdown for the Packers. Because yeah. <laughs> okay, so and on Pro Football Reference, you can actually sponsor individual pages, and if they're just some random page, they only cost like ten bucks. So like anybody can do them. And the Dennis Green page, of course, is sponsored by some random person, and all he put for the ad was the Bears are who we thought they were. So <laughs> that ultimately, that probably wouldn't be his legacy had they won the Super Bowl in 1998. All right, and we have another one from John Bellish. And, John, I hate to do this to you, but we're kind of running long here, and you got two other ones, and both of them are very good, so we're going to have to only do one today. The one we're going to push to next time is what if the Vikings didn't make, as you put it, that ridiculous trade for Herschel Walker in 1989, one of the more famous trades in history, sent him to Dallas for a whole bunch of picks, and that had a bunch of ramifications, and we're going to have to do that as a standalone episode, uh, because also it affects the Packers, because uh, one of the, the picks that Dallas got was right before Green Bay was going to pick, and a pretty famous player uh, ended up going to Dallas that otherwise likely would have gone to Green Bay. So we'll have to push this one down the road. But the other one you have 
also is the one that I wanted to do. And yours was from a little bit of a different angle, but we're going to sandwich them together. And so, Matt, the combo here is what if Drew Bledsoe had not gotten hurt in 2001? And then John's twist on it is what if the tuck rule play had not been overturned or, as he put it, was properly called? So do you want me to go first or do you want to go first on this one? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. I think I'm going to start with the tuck rule first because ultimately I think it changes the Patriot dynasty a little bit, but by that point in the season, I think Tom Brady had shown what he was capable of. And I don't think that much is different after that point. I think maybe there's more pressure on him after a lackluster uh, 2002 campaign by the whole team, but Brady played pretty good in 2002. He led the NFL in touchdown passes. And in 2001, he 86 quarterback rating, had 18 touchdowns, 12 picks, but Drew Bledsoe had been very steadily declining since their Super Bowl year. And so I think that Tom Brady, being 24 years old, having got them to the playoffs, losing in a fluky manner in just insane weather, I think that he still would have been the quarterback in 2002 and that Bledsoe still gets shipped off to Buffalo. Uh, I mean, if if they were that confident in Brady, I don't think that... I mean, Bledsoe still won him the AFC Championship game, and Brady, up until that last drive, had like less than 100 yards passing in that Super Bowl. Yeah. so I, th- I think everything remains the same in that regard if the tuck rule is not called properly. Do you want to address that before we go to the other one? Yeah, and I think you hit it pretty much spot on. They're not a dynasty, I don't think, then, because they've only won two Super Bowls, but I bet they still win those next two Super Bowls, too. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's, like you said, he's cemented where he was at that point in the season already. He was already this huge story by the time that game, game happened. Yeah, we were on their bandwagon like we were on the Ravens bandwagon. Yeah, I mean, we were, yeah, everybody loved Tom Brady. He was this out-of-nowhere guy who was playing so well and taking the Patriots to places, you know, that they hadn't been since 96. And I think had they lost that game, I mean, you lose it, but it's in a blizzard, and you lose it in a fluky way with a fumble that probably should have been an incompletion, and they call it the other way. Um, And then he still is the starter going forward. So I think, yeah, they're not the Patriots dynasty then because you only have two Super Bowls potentially, Mm -hmm. but he's still the starter going forward, and I don't think anything changes after that, um, but the Super Bowl then was, is Raiders Rams. I mean, do you think that turns out any difference? I bet the Rams probably beat the Raiders then in that Super Bowl. Yeah, I guess it could have been. Well, the Raiders would have played at Pittsburgh, and so I mean, the ramification of that is if the Raiders play at Pittsburgh, there's definitely a chance that Pittsburgh wins, and so that yeah. Cordell Stewart starts in a Super Bowl, and <laughs> yeah. so that changes a lot. I mean, I think the Rams beat either of those teams. Oh, I I think so too. And honestly, I think if they play the Patriots three more times, I think they yep. probably win those games. So the, the Rams that year, number one offense, I think like third or fourth in defense. So they just kind of got hit on a bad day, and the the Patriots had a really good game plan. But yeah, I wonder. I don't want to go too far into the future, but if Cordell Stewart plays well in a Super Bowl, even in a loss. That keeps him in Pittsburgh. You know, Tommy Maddox probably doesn't come in so easy the next year, and then Cordell Stewart doesn't get shipped off to Chicago. And if Cordell Stewart is there a few years, he's young enough that maybe Pittsburgh says, you know what, we don't really need this Ben Roethlisberger guy here in the 2004 draft, and that changes a lot of things. Yeah, you could be right. He was so on and off, though. You would think they might have just given up on him like the next year if he wasn't playing well, which is probably what would have happened. Yeah, they were already ready to run him out of town in 2001, and that kind of that kind of rescued him the first time was that 13 and three season that they had completely out of nowhere after missing the playoffs the last three years. Mm-hmm. All right, the other part of this one is that what if Bledsoe never got hurt at all? So you can't get to the tuck rule if Tom Brady's not even in the game. So Drew Bledsoe got hurt in the second week of the 2001 season. The Patriots started 0-2, then Brady comes in, he leads them to an 11-3 record from that point on, and of course they win three playoff games and win the Super Bowl, cementing him as the guy. But what if Bledsoe never got hurt at all? And this was a real tough one for me because he was one of the highest paid guys. He had, you know, the Patriots have a weird history where they're not that relevant, but then every once in a while they kind of have a flash of greatness, where in the late 70s they had really good teams, then they fall back to the pack, and then all of a sudden they flare up with Raymond Berry and Tony Eason and Craig James and all those guys, and then they come way back down, they get Bledsoe and whatnot. So 
I think that the Patriots' history was devoid enough of success that Drew Bledsoe was, you know, he was their Brett Favre, you know, a smaller version of that. Sure. And so I think that even if he has some bad seasons, that he gets to stick around a while. But it's kind of the same argument we had with Favre, is that at what point do you have to trust that this guy is just a talented guy, and you can't buy into the narrative that nobody believed in him, and and nobody thought Favre would be any good, or nobody thought Brady would be any good. If Brady's as good as he is today, at some point they would have had to have said, you know, this 78 quarterback rating that Drew Bledsoe's getting us just isn't good enough. We're going to start Tom Brady next week. And so I think that it definitely takes longer for the Patriots to get good. I don't think in 2001 they have much of a season without Tom Brady because I don't think they get that spark. And an 0-2 start still with Drew Bledsoe, the team doesn't get that shot in the arm that this might be a special season. I think they probably are, you know, they had a good defense, so maybe they're 8-8. Eight and eight. Uh, 2001 or uh, 2002 could maybe be a nine and seven season again. I don't foresee Drew Bledsoe leading two 14 and two teams, even with the great no. defenses they had. And so I think eventually, maybe after 2002, I think Tom Brady still gets a chance because there's he already had beaten out guys like Damon Heward and Michael Bishop and guys who they had had. And I didn't just pull Michael Bishop off of my head. I saw him earlier today when I was researching this stuff. So my NFL knowledge is not that great. But I remember they had some hopes for this guy. And so Brady had already beaten out those guys to even get the chance to uh, come in the game after Bledsoe got hurt. So I think that it takes a while longer out of respect for Bledsoe and what he meant to the franchise. But a guy as talented as Brady, I can't imagine he sits on the bench too long. Yeah, and you make a lot of really good points with with Bledsoe. You would think that they keep trucking him out there for a couple more years because he's their best quarterback in franchise history. And mm-hmm. um, I'm obviously not a Patriots fan, but I imagine that he was pretty much everything to, to them at that point. Oh yeah, but but like you said though, Brady, if he's that good, I mean Bledsoe was probably 30 in 2001. I don't know that off the top of my head. I think but, that's about spot on. So, I mean, at some point you would think he'd have to get, you know, I think really for Brady to get in, he probably has to get hurt. But for a guy who's in his 30s, you imagine that's probably going to happen, and Brady's probably going to get a shot at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, it just happens to be a significant enough injury in this case that he gets a full season. Mm-hmm. So, uh, it's tough. I mean, if Brady has to hold off a couple more years, I mean, is he th- is he there by the time he, they play the Eagles in that Super Bowl, or maybe that never even happens? Yeah. It's. Uh, I mean, it could definitely change a lot, and I think Bledsoe probably keeps getting the benefit of the doubt for at least a couple more years. So mm-hmm. I think eventually they think highly enough of Brady that he gets a chance and he looks good and takes advantage of it, and he's their starter. But m- maybe they they probably miss out on one. They may miss out on two Super Bowls going forward. So um, I don't know. It, it's so hard to speculate at when he would get that that chance. But it, it definitely changes Patriots history. It probably changes the way we look at Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. Um, at, at what uh, point does Bill Belichick be on the hot seat? Yeah, that's true. Because <laughs> he hasn't won a Super Bowl now. So Yeah, and so does he have to go to Brady, or is he more tempted to go to Brady? And if, if Bledsoe, if you look at his quarterback ratings, you know, the 90s were a little bit different. People weren't getting 110 quarterback ratings every year. So he was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL with like an 87 quarterback rating. But if you look at his numbers, they're going down quite a bit. And by 2000, he's in the mid-70s, which is not very good at all. So if he continues that trend, at what point do they say, thanks, Drew, you know, we, we owe you a lot of money, but Tom Brady's starting, you know, and... I think, and we did see it that year too. I mean, even though Brady had played super well at that point, it's not like I mean, Bledsoe was ready to go near the end of the year, right? It's not yeah, like and they kept Brady. Yeah, they kept Brady, and it's so it's not like people were clamoring to get Bledsoe back. I mean, he was their guy, but yeah, I mean, it's not like you know, if Brett Favre gets hurt in the mid two thousands, and there's some backup that comes in place. Well, Brett would have been back out there. Nah, Craig Nall would have won a Super Bowl. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I I think. That has something to do with it, too, so maybe it doesn't take a whole lot longer after that if Bledsoe keeps playing kind of mediocre. Yeah, and before we put this to rest, if you take out the Patriots, what happens to those early 2000 years and even more so? You want to say that that opens the door for Peyton Manning to play in more Super Bowls. I don't know early on. I feel like you're right when we were talking earlier. I think the Rams win in 2001, and you can 
you know, the, the Patriots didn't even make the playoffs in 2002, and then the Buccaneers were able to win. So I think that probably still happens. But beyond that, when Peyton really started cooking, is there a Colts dynasty, or do the Eagles have a dynasty, or Seattle? I, I don't know. What, what do you think happens there if you completely eliminate the Patriots from the 2000s? So who did they beat in the AFC Championship game in 03 and 04? In 03, they beat the Colts in that game that caused the illegal contact re-emphasis. Yep. Cause, and then the following year, they whooped the Steelers with Roethlisberger as a rookie. And, I mean, that obviously could have changed things from earlier in the playoffs. People, they would have beaten the divisional rounds. But, I mean, that Eagles team that made it that year was really good. I And with mm-hmm. Peyton's playoff history, I kind of think that they still win. And mm-hmm. if it were Panthers-Steelers, I think the Panthers probably win that one, too. So I, I think maybe the teams that the Patriots beat end up each getting one. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to say, but... Yeah, I, I, at least Peyton would have at least one or two more chances with the Colts, you would think. If yeah, it, you would think. If Brady was out the whole time. so. But, yeah, I mean, you, you think, yeah, but he lost in 03 and 04, maybe. But they in 04, they would have gone, well, they probably would have been the two seed. So it, it's it's really hard to say. But, yeah, I so mean. So much changes. Yeah, and but Pittsburgh's not going anywhere. And, heck, in 2007, they lost to San Diego. They never got a chance to lose to, to New England. So. Right. Yeah, I don't think it's anything like that the Colts become the 80s 49ers or anything, but you've got to think Peyton at least has one more, at least one more Super Bowl appearance and maybe one more Super Bowl championship if, if Brady never gets a chance. Okay, and now what I've been waiting for all day, and Matt gets to share his what-if topic that he's come up with. And it's kind of funny, too, because I forgot what your topic was. So they're very related, but actually kind of completely different, too. Okay. So... We can kind of be like early 2000s New England Patriots forever right now. <laughs> okay. So I, I, what I wanted to talk to you about was with the whole 99 debacle with Bill Belichick. Uh-huh. So he gets hired on for a day with the New York Jets, leaves to go to New England, basically changing the course of history for at least the Patriots, if not the Jets as well. Ooh. So kind of what, you know, what happens if that doesn't happen? If he stays with the New York Jets for that time frame and goes on to be their coach going forward, how does that change? You know the destination for both of those teams going into the 2000s. Okay, you got to start me with this one since this is yours. Okay, so what I'm thinking here, if he stays with the New York Jets, they were a pretty well established team at that point and were pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Vinny Testaverde in the late 90s. They had then getting Tom or uh, Chad Pennington, and I think 02 was his first year. That was his first year starting. He was drafted in 2000. Right. So. I think, I guess to quick sum it up and then to kind of break it down, I think it removes the Patriots dynasties, and I, but I don't think it adds a New York Jets dynasty. Mm-hmm. I think what Bill Belichick has done for the Patriots, compared to maybe any coach, you could say maybe since Bill Walsh did more for that team, has done more for the Patriots team than any other coach who's won a Super Bowl since the 80s, 49ers, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he's the reason they are what they are, and I think that he's, you know, probably the best football mind in the sport and that team is not overly talented other than Tom Brady but they've managed to somehow be you know one of the best teams in the league for the last 15 years well not quite that long but mm-hmm. that's how long he's been their coach so it's the reason I have a hard time saying he would have done with that with the Jets and you could go into this more with them potentially taking Tom Brady with the Jets as well if he's there yeah. but they just never had Tom Brady they had some really good teams in the late 90s and early 2000s and made the playoffs a lot, made a couple AFC championships game, ship games, but could never quite get over the hump. Mm-hmm. So I guess what I think is the Patriots, they're still a very good team without him, but they're not the dynasty they, they're considered at this point. And I think the Jets are maybe a little better and definitely have a Super Bowl appearance, but mm. I don't think they have Super Bowl championships under their belt. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> That's a really and the other thing one. about the Jets thing too is that they were they were planning on taking Tom Brady. There's the whole story when he was drafted that they had a scout up on the table like yelling to take Brady. And it's kind of interesting when you think <laughs> about this too. It, you know what if Belichick was in that draft room, and you know I don't know what his influence was on taking Brady to the Patriots, but what if he was the voice that takes him to the Jets? That changes everything, and maybe they do have a dynasty then. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if that happens, then they might. And I was just looking it up because one of the weirdest facts about the Jets in 2000 is they had five first-round picks. 
And they got wow. Pennington amongst them, but they also got Sean Ellis. They got John Abraham. Um, I'm just looking real quick. They got Anthony Becht, and I think there was maybe they only had four, five. Seems I think like I heard that they had four. Yeah. Yeah. So that those are the four. So they got you know three Pro Bowlers and Anthony. Yeah, they built Becht. a solid team with that draft. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sean Ellis and John Abraham were bookends for quite a while for them. Yeah, I guess the first thing I think of is when you have Belichick with Vinny. I'm like, oh, they're the Browns in 1994. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think you're right in a lot of aspects. It's hard to recreate that dynasty with the Jets, but at the same point, saying that the early 2000 Jets could have been a dynasty, as improbable as that sounds right now, that's as improbable as it sounded to say that they do the same in New England. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I mean, the New England was a, a team that, oh yeah, it was nice, New England will win 10 games and they'll win a wild card game and then they'll get whooped by a real contender. I mean, that was the New England reputation. As long as, you know, even when Parcells was there, it kind of felt like that. So I guess it's not out of the the realm, and if they get Brady, it certainly changes things. I, I don't think they're going to win anything with Vinny Testaverde, and Pennington's a nice player. He came onto the scene red hot and then really cooled off and stayed that way for the rest of his career. I, I don't think you're building any kind of dynasty or even, like you said, go to a Super Bowl. I, I have a hard time seeing Chad Pennington in a Super Bowl, in, yeah. in my opinion. But, you know, they got Curtis Martin for that whole time period. And, yeah, that's that's tough. I, I think the Jets are definitely better, but I think at the end of the day that I, I don't know if I see them any much. If they don't get Brady, if Brady doesn't come along with this and he ends up in New England or elsewhere, I don't see them being all that much better than, say, Schottenheimer's Chargers or something along that lines. It's a coach who's had some history, was a really good coordinator, has been good in the past, but I just don't see him having that consistent success. They'd be very similar to even how they were with Herm Edwards, where they'll flare up and be great and then kind of fall away. The thing that changes all that is they don't have the Patriots in the division. So yeah, Exactly, because the, the Bills and Dolphins weren't there at all, so they're yeah. the team that's winning the division every year. Yeah, and so... Yeah, and potentially. Yeah, potentially. And so, yeah, those 2002 Jets won the division, but 04 and 06 with Herm Edwards. Now, if you put Belichick there and you take out the uh, the Patriots, well, then now all of a sudden they got three division championships in five years or whatever. But still, I, I guess I, I still don't see them better than Indy, and I don't know if they're better than even Vermeil's Chiefs or the Shanahan rebuilt Broncos with Jake Plummer and even with Greasy. So I think they're better, but gosh, it's hard for me to get them to a Super Bowl in my brain. So what about with the Patriots for you? Does that completely take them out of all three Super Bowls, or are they still able to make it with Brady to you know some of those and maybe even win one? I would say that probably takes them out because the turmoil – that comes involved there. I don't know enough about that whole Belichick thing to know who the Patriots' second choice was had they not poached Belichick away from the Jets. But, you know, if you just look at their previous history with Parcells and then they had... Pete Carroll was not bad with with the Patriots. He was there, I think, three years, and he went to the playoffs twice, and then they got rid of him for Belichick. So I think that the instability there really hurts things. And they might have Brady, but I don't know, maybe Brady becomes... Oh, geez, I, I can't even think of a good example. Who's maybe he becomes another Drew Bledsoe, or maybe he, he Philip Rivers, yeah, yeah, Philip Rivers is a great example. He's just a guy who's there and he's good and he makes the playoffs sometimes, but nobody really takes seriously as a Super Bowl contender. So, um, yeah, I think the instability really messes up any potential New England dynasty, even with almost the same team. Okay, so that puts the end to the super what if, and I think that was fun, but holy cow, that hurt my football brain trying to. Yeah, come that's up. a lot of info to take in. Yeah, a lot of those scenarios. So maybe uh, we'll have to probably recharge for maybe another year, and then we could do a new, another super what if with the rest of the NFL. How does that so get sound? your ideas ready for 2015? Absolutely, write them down. I mean, you might have 50 or 60, and, and <laughs> will we do all of those in one night? Probably yeah. not. Huh? Yeah, we will. Well, yeah, a 24 hour green and gold forever? Yeah, why not? Okay. All right, so before we sign off, we'll have to talk about the Packers and Bears. The Packers returning to Sunday Night Football to take on Chicago. The Packers whooped the Bears last month, and is there any reason to think that they can't do the same thing? Yeah, I think the Packers uh, handle the Bears here. I'm having a hard time with the Bears team, and I know they they had a bye this week here, but 
I don't feel they're as bad as they've been. I think that defense is pretty bad, but that offense is better than it's been, so they do scare me a little bit. But if we were going into Soldier Field, I might be pretty worried. But coming to Lambeau, and the Packers coming off a loss, too, and if I week and wanted to prove something, I, I think the Packers win this one again pretty easily. Yeah, I agree. I think yeah, the Bears always scare you because they can score. Um, and I hope that Rodgers is being truthful when he says that his hamstring isn't bothering him. Uh, and we'll find out really fast. Yeah, but, that's true. Yeah, so we'll see. But I, I'm very confident that they can win this one. If they lost, I guess I wouldn't be completely surprised. But um, I'm expecting the Packers to win. Okay, so that wraps it up for another long edition of Green and Gold Forever. I hope you enjoyed it. And like Matt said, uh, send those future what-if topics. And we'll always have a chance to do one uh, during different shows. So if you have any NFL or Packer what-ifs, send them our way, and and we'll fit them into the show somehow, some way. All right, so for Matt in Altoona, I'm Eric in Oshkosh. And uh, enjoy this weekend's NFL games. Take care, everyone.